being more conscious will just make you a better human being. And when you're a better human being, you're kinder, you're nicer, and you want to make the world a kinder and nicer place around you. So it's but natural to move in that direction of seva. Welcome to A Curious Yogi Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby, here to illuminate your practice as we discover what it means to walk the yogi's path. Together with wise friends and awakening teachers, we uncover the answers to our greatest questions. I'm so delighted you're here. Now let's get curious. Welcome back, curious listeners. I'm really excited to be back in India and share this first episode from here with you. And it was perfectly timed because I had the chance to connect with a very special yogi, Ira Trivedi, coming to the podcast from her home in Mumbai. Ira is a best-selling author and yogacharya. She has written eight books, including India and Love, Marriage, and Sexuality in the 21st Century, which is a landmark book on India's new social revolution in marriage and sexuality. Ira was honored as one of BBC's most influential women in the world. In addition to her work as a writer, Ira is a master of yoga. She has two yoga shows in India and was a part of the team leading the first International Day of Yoga at Rajput, New Delhi, where two Guinness World Records were created for the largest yoga lesson and for the most nationalities in a yoga lesson. Ira is the founder of the charity initiative Namami Yoga with a mission of spreading yoga and mindfulness far and wide. Along with all that, she holds an MBA from Columbia Business School and has been recognized for her leadership excellence around the world. I had the delight of meeting Ira and Rishikesh earlier this year and was immediately charmed by the way in what she shares yoga so respectfully with such sincerity and also the lighthearted way she approaches life. This episode is short and sweet, a little teaser into the world of Ira, which I hope will leave you curious to connect with her and learn more. Enjoy. All right, Ira, great to see you again. Same, Bobby. It's been so long since Rishikesh, but it feels like just the other day. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's one thing I love about meeting other yogis. It's like, you know, there's this kind of like space of of timelessness when you're like really tuned into that kind of lifestyle and that way of being. And I, I just recognize that right away as soon as I met you. Oh, no, same here, Bobby. I'm, I'm so glad that we could finally do this. I know it's taken a little bit of time to just match schedules, but and time zones, but I'm so happy that we could we could meet. And I'm, I'm just I think you're doing an amazing job with this post podcast and uh, really happy to be here. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So I know your time is precious and your knowledge is vast. So I want to just get right into it. You are such an amazing human, a best-selling author, yogacharya, philanthropist. You have so much going on. And then never mind, you're like India's sweetheart, celebrity yoga <laughs> personality. So you know, I think it's so incredible that you how you manage everything and that you do so much. But this podcast project really aims to get to the heart of awakening teachers. And you know, while it's so amazing to celebrate the accolades, I'm really curious 
to get to the wisdom and the depth and the ancient knowledge that I know that you learned and you carry and it's so important for you to teach because we know and we can all tap into that we can inspire others to tap into it themselves and then you know uplift the collective I think we have that shared um, goal as to why we're doing what we're doing absolutely no Bobby this is a great initiative and I'm so happy to answer all your questions and share as much as I can amazing so I want to start here by asking you, how does a Columbia Business School MBA go from that to author to Yogacharya to where you are now? Like, give us a little bit of your journey. Gosh, I'm going to have to do it in bullet points because it's a long story, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to condense it as much as possible to the, to the highlight. So I, you know, I grew up in a, in a very, in a yogic family, because my grandparents and my great grandparents were all actually scholars of yoga. They're scholars of Sanskrit. So the name Trivedi, it means, you know, three Vedas, because that's what my ancestors had studied and they had perfected and learned and they were preaching, right? That's how the name comes from. But I feel like my family had become very religious along the way and lost that real spirit behind a religion. And I think that's what happens to religions over time. If you aren't careful, then you don't, you know, they're all rituals. And underneath the rituals, there's there's actually sometimes um, fanaticism rather than consciousness. So I did feel like my religion was a little bit like that. So. It was kind of interesting. I almost shunned, and I still tend to shun some of the rituals that I grew up in. And it's been interesting rediscovering all of these. And yoga was one of them. So let's just talk about the physical practice of asana, right? I'd like to kind of um, hone on on just the physical act, act, the practice of asana, because that physical practice has given me so much, you know, and that's really where my journey began at meditation and at asana. So I remember when I'd come back from college, I'd gain a lot of weight. It happens. It's called the freshman 15. You go to the U.S. and you gain 15 pounds, you know. <laughs> so I remember I came back from the airport. My mom was like, my gosh. And, you know, on the top of Indian parents' minds is always marriage, right? Oh my gosh, our daughter has gained so much weight. How is she going to get married? She's like, you know. <laughs> After her wedding, after college, she's going to be on the marriage market. So I remember I came home. We were living in a small town in India. My father was in the government, so he would move everywhere. And my parents said he should try yoga for losing weight. And just they were like suggesting, you know, subtly suggesting or sometimes not so subtly suggesting. And this teacher comes and he has like a really big pot belly. And I'm like looking at him and I'm thinking to myself, like, how this doesn't seem like this person can really help me lose weight because he seems to have a bunch of it himself, you know? And then I was always a little skeptical. And then this, the kind of the on the straw on the camel's back as they say came when during Shavasana, he fell asleep and would start snoring. And this happened like every time the teacher would fall asleep and start snoring during Shavasana, the teacher. And I, I mean, I was like, this yoga is the pits, you know, it's really the pits. <laughs> Then I'm not doing yoga. It's terrible, really boring. No way. 
I went to the US and um, I was, uh, I went to the US and there, this is like in the early 2000s, you know, yoga was kind of becoming really hip and fashionable, right? Especially in New York, like you would see yoga studios popping up early 2000s. And I would think to myself, what's the big hype? And I would, I tried even go, I was just curious. I went to a yoga studio and I couldn't afford the class because I was a college student. It was like $25, $30 at that time as a college student. I said, I can't afford this. So that was in my mind. You know, I said, huh, what's, what's this yoga class about in the US? It's actually a pretty interesting story, right? I come from a very, very traditional background. I try yoga in India, find it, you know, a little ridiculous. I become curious because in the West, yoga is suddenly becoming really sexy and cool. And my experience of yoga is not that. I then, I then, you know, go through my own journey. I go to business school and in some way at a very young age, I achieved my material goals and my material goals were not too high. I said, I need to have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank account. And I need to, you know, I, I, I had, I had, you know, I, I wanted to go to really good restaurants and I wanted to buy good stuff, buy like handbags and clothes. Like when you're in your early, you know, 20 and 21, those things seem really cool. I want to have fashionable clothes. And I came from a fairly humble background. My parents couldn't afford any of that. So it was really a driving need. I want to be able to, you know, go to nightclubs and I want to be able to do this stuff. I got into Columbia Business School when I was really young. I went straight out of college. I um, I had very good jobs on Wall Street. I made my $100,000. And in fact, I joined a private jet company. Um, and that private jet company, within three months of me joining as, in, as the second employee of that company, that company took over another company. And at the age of 22, I find myself at a pretty senior position at a private jet company. So here I am at 22, like flying around the world in private jets and just living the life, you know, like literally we were going to air shows here and there and say, okay, the jet is empty. Just drop me back to New York or that's about it. You know, it was, it was, it was, it was literally a, you know, what do they call it? A high flying lifestyle that I had. I had a Columbia business school degree. I had that little dream of having a hundred thousand dollars. I achieved that, but it didn't really give me, you know, when you achieve your material goals, whatever it is, right? And this was a small material goal because I didn't know any better. I didn't have more ambition than that. You know, I said, I didn't even think about, oh, do I want to buy a house? Do I want this? I just had, okay, I want to be able to buy a handbag and eat at a restaurant. So my goals were a bit, a bit reasonable, at least I thought so. And once I achieved them, I didn't really, I said, what's next? I have this great job. I'm earning a lot of money. I'm flying around the world in private jets, meeting the richest people of the world. And they actually seem pretty unhappy. You know, is this really it? Is this what it feels like when you've achieved all your material goals? But like, so I was, I was trying to piece all of this together. So it was really at that point when I, I really began thinking about what it is that, that my life was meant to be. You know, is this what it's going to be for the rest of my life? Am I going to just keep working surrounded by really rich people flying in private jets and buying stuff and living in one great hotel from a five star to a seven star to a nine, 10 star? I said, is this how it's going to be now that I've reached or seen what the pinnacle of rich and luxury is because of that job that I was in? 
I really wondered if that's it, you know, and um, I got pretty close to my boss and he was a billionaire and there was always a sense of dissatisfaction. And I would always question that, you know, and so I asked a lot of questions. That was the first step. I asked myself a lot of questions and I sort of began going on this search. I'd already written a couple of books by then and the books had done well. They'd done well in terms of people had read them. So I understood what impact feel like, felt like because these books had these little spiritual lessons in them. They were, they were basically stories of a regular girl going through life and learning lessons. And people read these books and other young people would write back to me and say that, you know, that book, it helped me make certain decisions. I read that and that changed my life. And that kind of, I said, that feels good. You know, when I got those emails and I got those messages, I said, well, that really feels like something, you know, that really feels like something. And so I just started going on my own quest. I moved back to India and uh, it was like a, it was like that, you know, it was like a moment. And I said, you know what? now I'm going to leave it. So I, I left, I, I left my job. I gave away all my belongings. I actually gave away a lot of money as well. You know, a lot of the money I'd made, I said, listen, I want to give back to the colleges, the business schools that all given me scholarships. So I said, I want to return this, you know, that I can, I, I feel like I should return this favor. The universe made me to be able to come to America, to be able to study at these great universities. And then I made my way back to India. And then I think it, for almost a decade, it was like the twilight years. You know, I was writing, I was in the ashram, I was learning yoga, I was teaching yoga. And the yoga discovery was also, I was just searching for something. I was in a weird state. You know, my body didn't feel good. My mind certainly didn't feel good. I was trying to find solutions for my body. I was in my, you know, I was in my early 20s. You know, so I think that was also like, it's usually an age of confusion. You're trying to find yourself. And so I, I, I just, you know, I, I read a book. I remember I found this one book in my house and I still don't know how this book got there. And it was a beautiful book. And as a writer, I'd always look at beautiful books and say, wow, this book looks really beautiful. And I said, it's, it's from the Shivan and the Ashram. And I'd been Googling, where can I go for Ayurveda yoga? Maybe this is a solution. It works in New York. Who knows? Let me give it another try. And then I, it was in Kerala and it turned out that I was going to Kerala the, the, that weekend with my parents. And so I decided to take a leap of, leap of faith. I said, I'm going to, then I, you know, I went to Kerala, we were in Cochin. I told my parents, I'm going to board a train and go to Trivandrum and I'm going to go to this ashram. And they were like, they were fairly supportive. I went to uh, Trivandrum and I went to that ashram and in the ashram, that was my first exposure of of, of really of yoga, serious yoga. You know, I'd done that teacher in my house, the, you know, the one I told you about when I, but when I experienced yoga like this in its full spectrum of a yogic lifestyle, where it's not just about the physical practice, it's about what you eat, it's about what you say, it's about how you behave, it's about what you eat, all of it together, that was a real moment. I, I went for two days and I ended up staying for a month. And that was where the journey began. Wow. When you're speaking, it becomes so clear as to why, you know, me as taking a class from you can see how you res you have that part, that Shivananda, that living in the ashram, respecting and understanding, like you said, the full spectrum of yoga. And yet I feel like you make yoga so accessible because you have had this complete spectrum of worldly experience as well. 
And I'm wondering if like when you went into the ashram, did you find your teacher there or have in your experience had a guru or a teacher or a guidance that's led you and supported you up until this point? Bobby, I always feel like, so in my life, teachers have always come through books. And I feel that's maybe also my journey as a writer. You know, it's I've had a real connection with books since I was very young. So I've connected to teachers and even with Swami Shivananda, finding the Shivananda Ashram, I found it through a book. So I, I, I feel like really really Swami Shivananda was a writer also and wrote 200 books over his lifetime. I actually have almost all of his books. I read most of his books. So I do feel like Swami Shivananda has had a real guiding force in my life. And I ended up spending the, the ashram that I went to was from, you know, started by one of his disciples, Swami um, Niranjan Saraswati from the Bihar School of Yoga, one of Swami Shivananda's disciples. So I feel like this was the seed that gave birth to a tree uh, Swami Chinmayan and then the Chinmaya mission. So I'm, you know, connected to that because I love their Vedanta teaching. So I do feel like, oh, it's it's sort of Swami Shivananda and then all the education that he spread, spread through all of his various disciples. So I did find, you know, I did find him as my overarching, overarching guide. And I always turn back to that energy when I feel like I need, I need more direction. But I also feel that um, I've learned yoga through many different teachers. And I feel like I've gotten so much through so many different teachers. But I would say that in my journey, there's been a lot of energy from Swami Shivananda always. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And I think so good for myself and the listeners to remember that the teacher can come in any form or so many different forms. And like you so beautifully said, like it you're a writer, so you're attracted to words. And, and and if we just move towards what we're attracted to, then that space, that teacher, that guru space gets enlivened within us and it comes to us. Yes, yes. Because I do believe that ultimately we are our own best gurus. You know, we are our own best teachers, but we do need, we all need knowledge. You know, we all need, for different people, it's different ways. Sometimes it's other human beings, it's books, it's, it's, it's YouTube. It could be any different way. Uh, and also an amalgamation sometimes. It's a few different people, a few different ideas, a few different things. And that too is a journey. But for me, right from the beginning, I would say there's been that guiding light of Swami Shivananda. And, and when I feel lost, I can I know that that's a place where I can go to for direction. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, I can relate to that as well as like knowing where to tap into to come home in a sense yes absolutely coming home and I do feel that as a yogi you you have this natural desire for wandering for searching you know as we search the physical journey is a wandering that's a physical expression of the search right is that we're physically wandering so in that wandering sometimes you do get lost because if you wander you'll get lost it's part of the journey and in that feeling lost, having those few anchors that you can come home to, you know, that I know I can come home to this particular practice. I know I can come home to this particular master and that these books will always hold lessons for me in some way or the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so interesting to hear your story and to see like so clearly how much even your story, your upbringing, your career up until now, 
you are kind of like this bridge almost like you're this iconic kind of bridge between two worlds like old and modern yogic tradition pop culture like you know you you have this capacity to kind of represent in a sense these different aspects like where do you put your attention where do where do you put your practice like how do you remain in the center a physical practice of yoga bobby i think that is so important to me and to all teachers to keep practicing i we run a lot of teacher training programs through our foundation and my biggest advice to teachers is that keep your own practice no matter what you know so that teach that practice really will keep you grounded and centered no matter what is happening in life so just going back to that practice always and a physical practice you know uh, i have a strong meditation practice uh which i do on a, on a daily basis a breath work pranayama practice but the physical asana practice you know it's very important, especially because the world that we live in today is very, very ratsik, you know? So you need that activity. You need that, you need that energy. You need that very gross prana that a, that a physical practice creates to, to, to help you get through this world, especially when you live in cities like Bombay, you know, when you live in quite fast paced worlds, I feel that when you're in more still environments, then you can have a very, very sattvic practice but sometimes when you're when you're in these cities, you need definitely need something more active just to keep you centered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a good reminder, too, because so many teachers have, you know, they love the yoga practice. They do the teacher training and then they get so wound up in life and teaching and everything that the self-practice falls to the wayside. And yeah. And especially when they start teaching a lot, you know, when they start teaching, they're teaching two, three classes, four classes, five classes a day, and then it's tiring, it's draining. Then there's really very little time for self-practice after that. So I think that is a very strong reminder to get your practice in, even if it's short, even if it's six rounds of sun salutations, you know, just make sure that you do something. And typically that six will turn into like, you know, a couple more a little bit of an asana or two. So I do feel that just sticking to that practice, no matter what the weather, no matter um, how you're feeling, the ups and the downs, just doing a little bit of practice every day is very important. It's, it's called a practice for a reason, right? Because it's a practice, it's a discipline. Yoga is a discipline. So it's very important to maintain that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree completely. So in your writing, I know you actually I read one of your books up to leading up to this conversation. And I know you often have written about gender issues and women issues. And your yoga love mission is to create one million female yoga teachers in India, which is amazing. Would you say like up, uplifting, empowering women is kind of a part of your seva or like something that has a spiritual resonance? You know, I think it's it's coming together like that, Bobby. And in a very and it's really interesting that I'm that as I'm chatting with you, and as someone from the outside outside you know world who's who's kind of read this and who's pieced it together, maybe maybe faster than I did. It took me many 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 years. But I think there's always been a strand, and maybe the first step was when I when I when I went to Wellesley. It's an all women's college in the U.S. You know, very feminist. And I think those were really, that's where maybe that little seed became more of a flower. 
at, at Wellesley because there was an environment where I could think about some of these things, right? Before that, patriarchy was just the way of being. You don't even question it. So when I went to Wellesley, I just, I began questioning. You know, I really, that's where the questioning began. And it continued. I, as a writer, I did a lot of work with, with, with gender. So a lot of my work has been around gender issues, culture issues um, in India in particular. And I've, I always found it very, very, um, you know, just, just, just very satisfying. Then with yoga, when I, when my yoga journey began and I became a, became, became a teacher without even setting out to be a teacher. You know, I remember after my teacher training course, my teacher had to urge me, she's saying, why don't you take the exam? I said, but I don't want to be a yoga teacher. Why should I take the exam? I've just come here to hang out and just to be in the ashram a little bit longer. Do I really have to take this exam? She said, well, you never know where it'll come in useful. You know, and I said, I finally relented and I took it. But once I, 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 I did yoga and it just bridged together almost naturally. When we started over COVID, there was a lot of online yoga and the students who practiced with me said, how do we take this journey further? So I said, okay, well, we'll start a teacher training program. It just came from students who've been practicing me and wanted to learn more. And then when we started doing the teacher's trainings programs, there were some phenomenal stories of women from small towns who had, who were in, uh, who had never worked before and they did their teacher trainings. And then now suddenly they were empowered to earn incomes, to have jobs. And though that money that they were making from teaching Zoom classes online, they didn't have to leave their homes. Uh, they didn't have to, they could still take care of their kids. They could still take care of their families and teach online yoga classes. It totally changed their, their, their lives because for the first time ever, they were earning their own income. And that financial empowerment led to a mental empowerment, physically empowering yourself through the, through the asana practice, just making yourself more healthy. So that really inspired me. All of these stories inspired me. And then I said, okay, with our, with our, with our teacher training programs, let's try and do that. Let's try and, 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 and make more women yoga teachers because yoga has been dominated by men, especially in India for far too long. You know, it's totally male dominated. So I said, let's change, change this and see where we get. And I'm very happy to say that we just received a few days ago, a big grant from Google from like, and because of this grant, we're going to be able to do a really a lot of work. So I'm, I'm really excited about this. You know, I really feel that I started this you know, I was so hesitant. I said, who's going to do this? Who's going to come? And it was a real uphill struggle. But I just feel that when we got this grant, I was like, wow, I just feel like this is such a sign to just keep going with the work that we're doing. And, and even if it feels like it was so tough, it'll, it'll be worth it at the end. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wow, amazing. Do you think that there is like, you know, when we think about being yoga practitioners, and like you said before, about really living yoga, like this mm -hmm. element of service, like it seems like it's so intricate, intricate, intricate in your life. But a lot of people come to yoga and it's kind of just for a personal thing. How do you feel, you know, from your own experience that this way of being of service and serving, you know, like you're helping so many women, how does that relate to your yoga practice? Yoga makes you more conscious. You know, it just makes you more conscious on a physical level, on a mental level and when you become when you become more conscious 
you become more conscious of everything around you. You become more conscious of the environment. You become more conscious of the energies around you. You become more conscious of the people around you. So a yoga practice will do that for you, whether it's meditation or asana or, or, or pranayam, you just, it makes you more conscious. And that consciousness then transcends just the body and uh, that desire to do seva becomes more natural because now you want to help the environment. You want to go out there and plant trees and pick up trash, you know, help someone because you're a more conscious human being. Beautiful. Yeah, it's so true. And, and a good reminder, you know, when we are in those moments of deep inner conflict or contemplation that, you know, we, there, we're all a part and parcel of this greater, bigger collective. And our practice makes us more conscious. So as part of that consciousness, we want to be part of a larger action, whatever that is. So that seva comes naturally then. You know, you do feel like serving and serving doesn't have to mean, it can mean different things to different people. For someone, it could just mean someone who earns a lot of money. It could be this, we want to financially give back to the world. For someone else who's, you know, whose heart lies in doing a, a more physical practice of seva, could be going and serving food to the homeless. It could be, for someone else, it could be taking care of, you know, feeding a dog on the street, a stray dog. So I do think that, you know, just being more conscious will just make you a better human being. And when you're a better human being, you're kinder, you're nicer, and you want to make the world a kinder and nicer place around you. So it's but natural to move in that direction of seva. Mm, I love that. I love that expression. And I love that you're really representing, you know, and you're talking about how the yoga teacher trainings are uplifting these women and how yoga has been male dominated in India for so long that as women, as women yoga practitioners, we can be both strong yogis and really strong in the world and have this kindness, this softness, this gentleness. And you really represent that. Definitely. I hope, so. I mean, I, I, we try and the thing is that the world is moving towards a more masculine place, right? Practices are becoming more and more intense. You know, uh, yoga studios are becoming more and more intense. It's like yoga is just becoming like a workout, right? In most places, like if that's, even yoga is becoming more masculine, right? In all of its nature. So it's very important to bring that back that we have to balance the yin and the yang, the feminine, the masculine. Both of them all have to be balanced in our practice and in our life because the world in Kalyog is moving you towards that more, is moving you towards always the more masculine, the more patriarchal, that side is always stronger, you know? The gravitational force is that. So to move towards a more sattvic energy, we do have to put that effort in and we have to keep reminding ourselves that we have to find balance and finding balance even in a physical practice is very important because, you know, just because um, I relate so much of my life to my physical practice. You know, I say it's just not a, it's not just a couple of asanas on the yoga mat, right? When you, um, when you're feeling like, oh, we just got to achieve that posture. And then, you know, so many yoga teachers have injuries these days because we just want to achieve those postures. You know, we just want to achieve them. But what's, why, you know, what's the, you know, so I just, I feel like we have to, because I want to post a really good post picture on Instagram, you know, I mean, you have to, that's why it's so important now to really 
reiterate as teachers these fundamentals of why we do yoga what is our end goal what is our or is there even an end goal sometimes it's just a journey you know it's just a beautiful journey of yoga and moving towards a higher consciousness and moving towards a higher energy and taking everyone along with you on the ride <laughs> good that's amazing brilliant last point there and just to end our conversation I always love to ask the guests if you could leave the curious listeners the curious yogis with one or two points to contemplate or question within their own lives within their own practice what would it be I, I think that what we spoke about right here at the end is a good point of contemplation you know really taking a look at your practice what is what kind of practice are you doing what is that bringing into your life is that bringing more balance is that moving you towards a more balanced energy sometimes it can move you towards a more a more rhatic energy so i'd love for the people the yogis listen to this podcast take a look at your close look at your practice and see what alterations if any you should be making to these and it's always constant you know as especially as women i would say as we age uh, the body's always changing you know hormones are always changing the body is changing we go through cycles of life so i would say in particular for women very very important to examine their yoga practice at all stages of, the, of their life you know it's different when you're 25 it's different when you're 30 it's different when you're 35 so just understanding that that your practice has to change just like the food that we eat changes based on seasons you know the earth gives us different things when we need different you know when when we when the seasons change the produce is different just like that i i urge all of you to examine your yoga practices and take a take a look at, at what you're doing because i do feel that just social media and a very you know like physical like very active physical culture and moving towards like faster faster stronger stronger is changing even yoga practices away from the traditional great point to contemplate and what's next for everybody listening if they want to find you practice with you retreat with you what's coming up next or any books any new books 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 you know there should be a book soon i really feel like i need to get down to writing but it's uh yeah hopefully hopefully soon couple of things we always have retreats um you know every month every two months there's a retreat happening somewhere there's a couple of new retreats in 2024 that we're planning uh which are now kind of combining combining things like the ocean and so we're doing one in the Andaman Nicobar Islands we always always try to bring in local culture sustainability in all these retreats we have a lot of new teacher training programs launching in our online academy all of these are run through our foundation so this is whenever you actually enroll it's a charitable donation so there's lots of good tax benefits you're contributing towards our mission when you do this so we have a bunch of you know kids yoga prenatal yoga a bunch of new teacher training programs all of them are yoga line certified so they're applicable to anyone around the world and you can teach anywhere around the world once you're certified and then um yeah that's that's these are the two kind of things two major things hopefully a big a big mission of mine for 2024 personal mission is to do a lot more on youtube so just doing a lot of classes 
you know, just free stuff for people to come online and do, you know, just, just, just good content um, that they can come and practice tips for when, you know, help certain ailments, all of that stuff. I'm, you know, we're, we're going to be doing on the YouTube channel. Amazing. Well, I'm going to plug everything in the show notes and thank you so much for the work that you're doing for what you represent i just love it all and i mostly just love who you are you're such an amazing oh, thank you bobby thank you it really is i was so glad to meet you at the international yoga festival in rishikesh and i hope that will i see you there this year i'm gonna be there maybe at the beginning for one or two days but i'll hopefully cross paths with you there and then i'm like maybe i should come to andamans like for retreat that sounds amazing <laughs> Um, come and do some teaching over there. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review. It really helps the show reach more people. If you'd like to have your greatest spiritual questions answered on the show, send them to me through social or email. And don't forget to follow on your favorite streaming platforms. Let's stay curious, connected, and keep walking the path together. Music graciously offered by Heidi Herdaya Groschler. In oneness and delight, this is Bobby signing off until next time.